Welcome to another edition of Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook live show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. My name is Kelsey Harkness with The Daily Signal. And I'm Bree Payton, staff writer at The Federalist. So we've got a great show for you today. First, we're going to be talking about Chick-fil-A and the targeting of Catholic hospitals over in Ireland, suicide rates rising faster among women, Sex of the City 20 years later, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders stayed put in the White House, at least for now. I can't believe it's been 20 years since Sex in the City got started. But before we get into all that, Brie, we have to address the biggest news story of the week, of course, was President Donald Trump meeting with North Korea, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Uh, the two of them hammered out some sort of agreement that they both sign. A lot of critics of this deal. Uh, they say the agreement was flimsy because it was not legally binding. Others say it gives too much uh, leverage to North Korea while getting too little for us and the rest of the free world. Um, but the move was actually very popular among voters, who many of whom feel relieved that the United States is entering a period of dialogue with North Korea instead of the extreme form of tensions that we saw play out throughout the last couple of months. Yeah, so we're going to have to keep our eyes on this and whether or not, you know, this sort of agreement, this type of diplomacy that we saw on display in Singapore is effective. Uh, we're just going to have to keep our eyes on the whole situation because we don't, no one really knows how it's going to play out. And anyone who pretends to know is lying to you. So we're going to have to just check that out. The one, I will have to say, though, the one thing that I was disappointed about was when Trump insisted that you know, Kim Jong-un was really funny and that he loves his people. <laughs> he really loves his people. He really loves them. By enslaving them and starving them. Right. And yes. killing some Literally of them. Literally putting tens of thousands of them, an unknown number of North Korean uh, civilians into forced labor camps. If you are caught with a radio with a dial on it, you're going to be sent. You and three generations of your family are going to get sent to one of these work camps. It's really awful. Um, whenever people flee North Korea, whenever there's, um, you know, people seeking asylum, organizations that work to integrate North Korean, um, you know, individuals that are refugees into Western society have to trade them to learn how to use an ATM machine and have to explain the concept of currency to them because that doesn't exist in North Korea. Uh, you know, this is a leader who routinely tells his people to prepare to starve because they're not going to invest in food for their own people. They're going Nukes to invest in, right, and in vamp vamping up the military. Um, in the 90s, there were reports of individuals eating their own children, of kidnapping oh. other children and eating them. So just really awful, awful. It's unprecedented in terms of the level of brutality and just terrible conditions in that country. And so I think to make a careless comment like that, just that he writes loves off his people. Yeah, it really writes off the experience of so many North Koreans who have fought for their own freedom and risked like their own safety as well as, you know, the safety and freedom of three generations of their families in order to make it to a free society and get away. So I think you're right. And we all should be very critical towards some of the rhetoric that we saw come from the Trump administration. I know a lot of people had a problem with the United States flag being on the same level as the North Korean flag. A lot of people said Trump shouldn't have even um, given him the benefit of meeting with with him. He should left should have left these negotiations to lower level staffers. Um, but here's what I do want to say from the other perspective is 
Trump is his own being. He's his own kind. And we have never seen, I think, in all of history, negotiations play out like this, where you have uh, a leader flattering someone like the, a dictator in North Korea to the point where they actually begin these talks. But I think this is just how Trump works. And the way I see it is that, you know, a lot of people were criticizing Trump the way he treated the members of the G7, saying he was too harsh on them and he's going to break these important relationships that we have. In my opinion, the members of the G7 are like our siblings, where, you know, I can say anything to my <laughs> sisters and be as tough on them as I want because I know at the end of the day, when things get serious, we're family and they have my back. Kim Jong-un is not Trump's sibling. He should not be treated like that. And I think the reason Trump is trying to flatter them is because Kim Jong-un is like this friend you had a massive fight with where you keep running into them. You're in the same friend group of circles and you just have to somehow make peace. And so Trump is going about making that peace by flattering him, going over the top with with the flattery. And he's like sort of apologizing, even though you know he doesn't mean it. But he's basically doing anything to get him to the table and just make peace with this person, with this friend who he got in a huge fight with. So as crazy as it seems, when you think about it in your real life, it is kind of true that you can be really tough with siblings. But with someone who you have, you know, really difficult relations with, got in a huge fight, but keep running into and can't avoid you know, it's, it's in some ways it's easier to flatter them to get them to the table rather than just turn your back. And I think, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, if this tactic works and North Korea does really actually decide, you know, we're not going to make nukes anymore, which that's, that's big, you know, but if it does happen and if it does work, I think people will be like, okay, great. And they're not going to be upset about, you know, some of these other things that he did, um, throughout the negotiations at Singapore. Well, I so hope, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait. It's certainly risky, but I, I hope you all appreciate, you know, my really unique insights into the negotiations from no, the perspective I of, I think of you're friends right about and family. Seven being siblings. <laughs> I think you were spot on in that analogy. All right. Well, let's move on to Chick Fil A. Oh my gosh, we should have brought Chick Fil A sandwiches for lunch here. Um, We had the Twitter CEO who got slammed this week on Twitter for eating Chick-fil-A, the horror, during Pride Month. So in response to uh, Jack Dorsey deciding to eat Twitter and post about it on uh, eat Twitter. Eat Chick-fil-A. They're both birds. They're both birds. They're both birds. (laughs) That's that's must have been why I got him confused. The Huffington Post editorial director, Noah Michelson, wrote a column titled, If you really love LGBTQ people, you just can't keep eating Chick-fil-A. So here's what he had to say. And I quote, I'm not saying that in order to be a good person or ensure that you don't support despicable businesses, you have to hermetically seal yourself inside your home and only eat food that you've hydroponically grown and only wear clothes that you've woven on a loom built using recycled popsicle sticks and the stickier variety of bodily fluids you have handy. But I am saying that when you know a company is anti-queer and what's more, when a company like Chick-fil-A goes out of its way to tell you as much, you should not support them no matter 
how delicious a reason you can order up. Oh. Wow. Okay. So Chick- that's a lot. Chick-fil-A is not a, a despicable business. The, th- this whole fight stems back to the fact that uh, the CEO of Twitter made a comment in support of biblical marriage. Like, that's what the Bible says, and that's what he was supporting, and he wasn't even doing it in his official capacity. And that's what's so frustrating about the left is that, you know, anyone, they go after companies for single person's political or religious beliefs. Right, it's what happened with it's, Under Armour. It's, yeah, it's one thing if a company is putting out a statement, then sure, go go and boycott them from either perspective if that's what they're representing as a company. But Chick-fil-A isn't trying to get in the middle of a political or religious conversation. The CEO simply has religious beliefs. And also, you know, I think that this whole idea that they're so discriminatory against LGBT individuals, like, they're not going to turn away a customer because they of their never sexual have. orientation. They're not going to discriminate on hiring based on that either. Like it's not, it's literally just the guy at the top has an opinion that they don't like and they're super upset about it. I don't know. I think everyone should just eat more chicken and calm down. Personally. I think Chick-fil-A is too delicious for keep this calm. campaign to be successful. Yeah. Keep calm and eat waffle fries. Yeah. That's really the thing is it's too delicious. You can't resist it. And Chick-fil-A it. treats its, employ- its employees very well. And I think a lot of other fast food companies are very threatened by Chick-fil-A right now. Yeah. They, they have good values. And actually by boycotting Chick-fil-A because of this crazy political reason, you're hurting the everyday person who is just trying to make a living. Yeah, that's also true. And you know what? I mean, they're always at the front line of every disaster. You know what I'm saying? Like a Chick-fil-A store owner went in and was rescuing people they in gave, Harvey. They gave Chick-fil-A they gave to Chick-fil-A. the victim. People um, donating blood for the Pulse, the Pulse nightclub yep. shooting. Yeah, so Chick-fil-A is always, you know, they're the OG clutch. They're always in there when you need them. <laughs> They're wonderful. I I live super close to one, and literally this week, all I've been seeing in my news feed is Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. It's been really detrimental for my wedding diet. (laughs) I might go grab a sandwich over at Union Station after we're done recording the show. Not a bad idea. Yeah. Okay, so in Ireland, the country is reportedly going to force Catholic hospitals to provide abortions. So after the referendum last or earlier this month, I should say, um, vote to overturn the country's abortion laws, lawmakers are still figuring out what exactly will be the law of the land regarding abortion going forward. So the Irish prime minister said that Catholic hospitals that receive taxpayer dollars will have to provide abortions. Individual doctors and individual nurses uh, who personally object to the practice of abortion can supposedly opt out of perf- of doing one, um, but not whole institutions. So I don't know what happens when all of the doctors or all of the nurses in an institution refuses to do that, which is probably what's going to happen at a Catholic hospital. But so we're gonna we're gonna have to see. Isn't the same fight playing out here in the U.S. as well? Yeah, yeah, to some degree, yeah. But I mean, we've we've been there, we've done that. We know how this ends. We know that it gets ugly. So Ireland, I don't know that all the voters, you know, that voted uh, to make this big change necessarily saw, foresaw all of these changes that are coming, but they're coming. So U.S. suicide rates are rising faster among women than men. 
This is according to NPR. So the number of people dying by suicide in the United States has risen by about 30 percent in the past two decades. And while the majority of suicide-related deaths today are among boys and men, a study published Thursday by the National Center for Health Statistics finds that the number of girls and women taking their own lives is rising. So I personally have not known anyone directly that has made the decision to end their own life. Fortunately, I've never um, had to live through that. But my little sister, who is, how old is she now? I think she's like seven. She's about to turn, her birthday's today, actually. Yeah. Happy birthday, Bree's sister. Yeah, my sister. sister shares a birthday with Trump. And you and I share one with Kanye. Kanye. So there's dragon energy in the family. Anyway. All Geminis, right? Yeah. Anyway, my little sister, she is turning 17 today. She sadly has known, I think, like four or five people who are either her friends or either friends of friends who did decide to take their own lives. My mom attended the funeral of a 16-year-old boy two weeks ago uh, who made the really sad decision, you know, to take his own life. So I definitely see... I think that from my personal experience, it seems like younger people and the generation under us are going to have to be dealing with this issue more than I think you or I's generation had to. Yeah, I mean, suicide rates in general are on the rise. I mean, I know we were talking about that in wake of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain taking their own lives. I think it's a really sad and important conversation to look within and reflect why we are in the state as a society. I think uh, uh, Kirsten Powers uh, had a really good article. Um, She opened up about how she had attempted suicide, and she actually spoke to an expert on suicide prevention. And part of um, one of the most effective things you can do to prevent suicide is to share your story about why you ultimately rose above it and did not choose to take your own life. People who have been teetering on the edge and then walked walked that back. Those stories are so important for people to hear who are having these thoughts. I, I don't know why more the, the numbers are rising among women, but I think we should be alarmed. Um, you know, this isn't an issue I can speak personally from either, but I just finished reading one of the most powerful books I have ever read in my life. It's called Perfectly Yourself by Matthew Kelly, and um, he's actually a practicing Catholic, and it's 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 from the lens of faith, but um, it really applies to everyone. It's not um, it's not too much religion for those who are turned off by faith. Um, but this book, Perfectly Yourself, is all about changing your mindset from trying to be perfect and telling other people to be perfect and raising children with the idea that they need to be perfect and rather try to be perfectly yourself, the best version of yourself. So just to give you an example, growing up, I always tried to get straight A's. Uh, this was just not possible for me in math. I am terrible at math. God decided that I was going to be terrible at math. Don't know why, but you know that's, that, was, that was his plan for me. And it really was hard for me to compare myself to other other students and friends that I just couldn't do well no matter how much I tried. And I think the message here for raising children is, is that I don't need to be perfect at math. God didn't make me perfect at math. Rather, I need to be the most perfect version of myself. So I need to try, um, but that doesn't mean I need to be perfect. And I don't think that's like the squishy handout trophies to everyone. Um, mindset. I actually think it's just 
teaching ourselves and others to try to be the most perfect version of themselves, not to be perfect. I feel like we put so much pressure on children and on ourselves and uh, on our colleagues these days. And we need to just step back and realize God made us perfect the way we are. And really our mission in life is just try to um, be the most perfect versions of ourselves. And that is perfect. So I highly encourage um, you to pick up a copy of this book. I'm personally going to be handing it out to anybody who I hear is having any sort of life struggles, you know, as serious as um, suicide thoughts, but, um, you know, as seemingly superficial, but not really when you think about it as, you know, body struggles. It also talks about food choices and and whatnot. It really covers a range of issues and it teaches you, um, it, it just, I think it can help us all find our identity um, and change our mindsets as we keep hearing about these, these really awful high numbers of suicide rates and attempts. Yeah. I mean, as Suez Lewis said, comparison is the thief of joy, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always, I guess, good to uh, keep in mind and think about that. Thanks for recommending that book. I yeah, that's have that known was, about it that, otherwise. That was sort of a personal like tangent. It was a personal tangent, but no, I, I, I think it. it. I think it's important to share things like this that, and you know, ideas of how we can reach out and help others. And sometimes passing passing along the right book that might have the power to connect with someone and change the way they think about themselves. I think can make a huge difference. I definitely agree. And with that, we're gonna have to take. A quick break, but when we get back, we're going to come back with our segment, This is What Feminism Looks Like. And we're back with our next segment, This is What Feminism Looks Like, where normally we always hold up uh, a positive example of feminism, right? So last or two weeks ago, it was, I haven't been here for a little while. So um, <laughs> when last time I, I was on the show, it, we talked about Kim Kardashian West and how she fought for criminal justice reform uh, and fought for, uh, you know, that woman to be released who was, uh, had a very harsh sentence. But this week, we're going to have a little bit more of a discussion. Yeah, and we want to hear your and thoughts. And we want to hear your thoughts. So we are going to talk about Sex in the City 20 years later, was Sex in the City good or was it bad for women? Was it a positive or was it a negative example of feminism? Kelsey, discuss. All right. Well, I imagine a lot of you watching on Facebook might disagree with me, but I think that Sex in the City was good for women. It was such a female-centered show when so many shows um, were centered around men, and it really flipped the script and um, you know put put women in the driver's seat and Men were the ones, you know, tagging along and trying to keep up. I think certainly there were some bad things that it taught women, you know, sex without con- consequences. Yeah. But but, there, but if you actually think about it, there were consequences for all them. But, you know, the show sort of promoted that idea of sex without consequences. But if you really, like, dig into the plot lines, there's always consequences. That's life. There's going to be consequences for every action you take. That's very true. I actually had a conversation with... Someone the other day about this. Um, I was really okay. So Samantha, the one character who's you know the Lucy Goosey of the friend group. Can we call her a slut? The slut? No, no, we can't. We call can't her call that. her that's the a, slut. That's a, but oh, you know gosh. she. I'm likes in trouble to, now. <laughs> she likes to have a fun time. Okay, that's what we'll I don't say. know. I'm. I think she was. Anyway, so she you know was the character that <laughs> this is what she was always doing. This is yeah. what she was always up to, but she never had 
like any sort of an STD scare had never been tested for an STD until like season four, which is like, okay, you know, you should be doing that um, if you are sexually active at all, which ideally is within the confines and the sanctity of marriage. But, you know, every year when you go to the gynecologist, you should be getting tested, right? Just checking to make sure everything's okay. So I don't understand, you know, why wasn't she going regularly to the doctor. I think that that's very irresponsible when we are speaking about this from a health perspective. And it's crazy irresponsible to be doing that, you know, while you have all of these partners, which she had a lot, and that was the point of her character in the show. (laughs) Um, You know, I just thought that that was just so not anywhere aligned with reality at all, right? Like in reality, I was reading the study the other day where if you're sexually active by the age 25, it's like 50-50 if you have some sort of an STI. Oh, goodness. Okay, so <laughs> listen, it's very real. This, you know, The risks of this are abundant. And so I think like having her not get tested or worry about this at all until like season three or four was just irresponsible on behalf of the writers. Personally, I didn't like that. And it's interesting to look at Sex in the City from the lens of, you know, left- lefty feminists, I guess, is what I would call them, because there's there's a lot in the plot lines that actually go against what they're now promoting. You know, it, it seems like they're almost anti-marriage. and But really what Sex in the City was about is four best friends trying to find love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they were doing it in a city that, you know, there's not great odds of finding love in it. Let's just be real. Oh, no. I it's tried. Not. I failed. <laughs> and I'm glad I failed. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, you know, it is interesting, though, because I think that the show was so feminist uh, and groundbreaking at the time, just out of the way that the show is structured. Right. Like, I think it was one of the first times that a show used a man as a plot device and didn't tease out or develop like his characters, but yes. would just, oh, here's a person that's coming up just to further the plot. I think that that was groundbreaking. But today, if you look back, obviously, like every episode fails the Bechdel test. So it is interesting to see that how feminism itself has shifted and changed and I think become a lot more radical. When I, I think Sex in the City version of feminism was already like too far and too radical. And so it's interesting just to see how far it's shifted and then feminists now going, oh, there's all these things that are wrong with that show. So many stereotypes. Yeah. You know, the, I, I mean, the gay men that were in the show were very stereotypical gay men. I, it, it actually is funny to think about the show from the lens of today and what would be in it if it were today. And it's also a little bit scary because what is the Sex in the City version of a TV show 10, 20 years from now when we have kids? Yeah, what is it? The goalposts are forever changing. We'll never know. (laughs) We'll never know. All right. Well, when we come back, it is that time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And we're back and it is time to crown our problematic woman of the week. So this week we are giving the honors to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Because according to CBS News, she's planning to depart the White House. Sarah Huckabee Sanders very quickly shot down this report and basically called it fake news. She asked CBS, do you know something about my career that I don't? Uh, So Sanders 
what I found most interesting about this, the headline, Sarah Sanders and Raj Shah, is that how you pronounce his name? I think it's Shah. Shah, Raj Shah, Sarah Sanders and Raj Shah planning to depart the White House. So I see this headline. I immediately it's tomorrow. Yeah. It's it's She's packing her bags. Yep. She's out of there. It's going to be, you know, North Korea wasn't enough for one week. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is also leaving. I'm reading two paragraphs in, end of the second paragraph. This is what it says. Sanders, who has been become a confidant of President Trump since the departure of former communications director Hope Hicks, has told friends that she plans to leave the administration at the end of the year. Uh, Shahat, who is also considering his exit, um, is also considering his exit, but he has not yet settled on an exact date. So even if the story is true and Sarah is disputing it and saying it's not true, She's not leaving until the end of the year. It is June. And she apparently told friends this. So I just can't believe that this is like the baseline for a story. I think the headline was misleading. I'm not going to call it fake news because I'm sure they had their sources. But, you know, I talk to friends all the time. And if every little thing I said about my career or anything like that were reported in the media... It, it really actually would be fake news because we change our minds on a daily basis. Well, I think also, okay, also I'm wondering, this is like, I'm going to get my tinfoil hat on for a <laughs> quick second. I'm wondering if Sarah Huckabee Sanders is trying to suss out her friends to figure out which of her friends are leakers. Oh, right. So snap. like, <laughs> no, celebrities do this. So they'll tell like a different friend, That's one so rumor, like, oh, I'm pregnant. Right. And you're not pregnant. And then you tell another friend like, oh, I'm moving to Mexico. And then you tell another friend like, oh, I'm quitting my job. And then you see which story ends up in the like in the press. And then you're like, oh, I told that friend that rumor. And now it's in OK Magazine. Wow. I know who I know who's the leaker. I know who I can't trust. So I'm wondering maybe Sarah Huckabee is doing this because. She's a chess player. She's always five moves ahead. So maybe she's five moves ahead here. But look, even if she is thinking about leaving, it's not for six months. Sarah has a family to take care of. I don't understand how she does her job. She is so busy. Um, and I know the communication staff is short. But it seems like the the media almost like they want this chaos in the White House. They thrive off of it. They're always reporting on how there's not enough employees, there's a, there's there's so many open positions, but then any time a position is filled, they just go after the, the hires and, you know, try to slander them. It's like, no wonder people aren't applying <laughs> for the White House. You guys are really awful to them. Also, maybe they want to see Sarah Huckabee go. So maybe they oh, just like, totally. oh, heard a, you know, rumor at a cocktail reception and they're like, okay, I'm going to report this as fact. But they should Although appreciate her because it's better than a lot of other outlets. Like they, they're they're pretty good about like I think in terms of sussing things out. Like I don't think that they are as bad as like Politico or some of these other ones, which thrive on you know tips from people. They should appreciate Sarah, and it just makes me laugh because it's like the far left calling for the impeachment of Trump. I'm like, do you realize <laughs> if you impeach President Trump, you, you are going Pence. to have a President Mike Pence? Look at his record. Trump is all over the place. You know what you're going to get yeah. with Mike Pence, and you are not going to like it's it. It's going to be handmade Style, right, Kelsey? <laughs> totally. I just, uh, speaking of handmade Style, I just started um, watching that show. And, you know, we've talked about it on Problematic Women before. Um, and I have to say, I think 
you were understated with your comments on how <laughs> offensive it is for um, the left to compare conservatives to The Handmaid's Tale because what is going on in that show is an alternative reality. And I think to make that comparison, look, I'm not one to get easily offended, but I, I really think it's it's a gross mischaracterization. Um, and, and I do think it's offensive. I think it's too far. I definitely, it's too far. It's too far. Calm down. Calm all down. right. Well, thank you all for tuning in and tuning into our little personal rants this week. <laughs> Let us know if you like those or not. Um, that wraps up our show. If you know Problematic Woman, please let us know. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. And you can read all of my work over at thefederalist.com and follow me on Twitter at Brie underscore Payton. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist and is produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. <laughs> Except not today. We have the Leo Rampersad and our awesome interns helping out. So thank you guys. Shout, Shout out. out. If you like this podcast, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you sharing it and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. <laughs>